A few announcements to share with you. Uh, following the service today, we have uh, a fellowship meal. Uh, it's very simple, just hamburgers, hot dogs, chips, and stuff like that. And uh, it'll be uh, following the service, and you're all invited. And so if you can stay for that, uh, do so. I hope you can enjoy it too. Um, and then I, uh, the uh, daily breads are... For this uh, quarter here, and they're on the foyer, on the counter in the foyer, and uh, or on the table in the foyer, and on the table on the other side of this door here. And so pick those up, and and if you have someone that you would like to take one to, uh, maybe a shut-in or someone or another member of your family, feel free to take an extra couple if you would like to. Um, then the other thing is, I I am to read this morning to you the what we would call the COVID-19 update, I guess. Uh, as of the 15th, things are supposed to change in the state of California. So uh, uh, we're trying to, uh, to the best of our abilities, uh, keep up with all of that. And uh, so I'm just going to read this to you as it's written. And I think it's also posted on the door out in the, in the front there. Beginning on June 15th, 2021, you will no longer need to wear a mask or social distance to attend and participate in the various ministries and events. The CDC currently recommends that unvaccinated individuals continue to wear masks and that vaccinated individuals do not need to wear them. Since some will continue to wear masks for a variety of reasons, we encourage you to give those individuals some extra personal space and respect their decision. Please continue to honor the existing health protocols until June 15th. Uh, and so uh, uh, just uh, sharing that with you. And uh, the somebody asked us if we were going to be mask police. And the answer is no. We're not going to worry about that. It's up to you and, you, and how you are interpreting all of that. So... Uh, Anyway, that starts this next Sunday, and so I wanted to make sure you were aware of that. In the area of prayer this morning, uh, I've got a few that I would like to share with you. Uh, Kay Morris uh, is continuing to improve in health. In fact, she said this last week has been the best week she's had in a year, and so that's uh, a real answer to prayer. However, her eyesight has not improved at all, and... Uh, so uh, she uh, has asked that we would pray for her specifically. She can't drive until it gets better or until they find a solution to it somehow. So uh, she would ask uh, that we keep praying for her. Diane Van has been in and out of the hospital again this week uh, with infections. Uh, it continues to plague her, and so uh, we'd ask to continue prayer there. And... Uh, I don't know how many of you uh, know the Spurleys. Uh, Chris Spurley has been in the hospital for several days now with COVID-19. Uh, it was very, very severe. Uh, both lungs were highly congested. And at this point, he is at St. Joe's. And his right lung has opened up a little bit. And his breathing is a little bit better. They're not using as much oxygen pressure, trying to get him to breathe more and clear out his lungs. And so uh, continue to pray for Chris Spurley and his wife Hope and the family uh, that uh, they'll, as they get through this, that uh, uh, people will meet their needs and, and that, that God would bring a healing to, to Chris. And uh, 
is there any other needs? Uh, it's been difficult to stay in touch with people, and I thought this morning I would just ask if anybody has any other needs they'd like to add to our prayer list this morning. Okay, well, let's pray for these. Father, we come this morning to, first off, acknowledge that you are the King of kings, Lord of lords, you alone are worthy to be praised. You alone are worthy of our worship, and we come to you and acknowledge that you are the only God. There is no other. And as we come to you, we come to you as you tell us through the through your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to bring our needs before you. You tell us that we can approach your throne for grace and mercy, and we can do so with confidence. And so, with confidence, Lord, we bring Kay to you and ask, Father, that you would continue to bring strength and healing to her body uh, and, and that you would restore her eyesight to, so that she's able to do the things that she wants to be able to do and, and to get to church and, and, and fellowship and all the things that go with that. So we ask, Lord, that you would minister to her. And while she is recuperating, that you would uh, give her that confidence that you are with her. And we would pray the same thing over Diane, that you would bring healing to her body. And that you would help the doctors determine what it is that is going on uh, with these infections, that they seem to be chronic and it makes uh, the, the doctors wonder. I know that uh, wondering if there's some infection that's just hiding out there. And we would just ask, Lord, that you'd give them wisdom and the ability to find the medication uh, that would bring uh, a healing for her. We don't hesitate to pray for the miraculous and ask, Lord, that you would heal her body. And we bring Chris before you as well and ask, Lord, that you would continue to clear his lungs and that he would feel more and more uh, like himself each day as you bring healing to his body. Give the doctors wisdom as to what to do to minister to him and the treatments that he needs. And again, we bring him before you and, and, and don't hesitate to ask for the miraculous that you would bring healing to his body. Lord, we are aware that within the framework of our community, community the places where we work, the schools and other places, that uh, there are many that have uh, suffered from COVID-19 with, in one way or another, either through physical health or through loss or through uh, knowing people that have, be, have been ill. And we just ask, Lord, that you would be with these people, comfort them, strengthen them, make yourself known to them in special ways that, that there would be no doubt that the God of all creation is, is seeking them out. And Lord, give us the ability to see where you want us to, uh, the needs of people around us, that we might bring your hope, but also to touch them with your kindness that we would have your eyes and your ears as we look around us in our community and in our families. And Father, as we come into this time for the, the message, as we open your word, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and our minds that we might receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are going to do a brief uh, deal with the Song of Solomon. Uh, we preached through that a while back, and uh, so we'll just uh, do an overview with it today. And as as we do, uh, I, I 
draw your attention to the fact that, that people read the Song of Solomon and some people, uh, especially, you know, people that are, you know, teachers of the word, theologians, Bible scholars, they all, there's a multiple, multiplicity of views as to what the Song of Solomon is and what it's saying. Um, the one thing that I believe that is clear is that it is poetry that expresses the love that God has allowed us to have between husband and wife. And it's very intense at points, very graphic at points. And uh, it is very clear that this is, is something that opens up to us the idea that, that God has given a husband and a wife a, the gift of sexual, sensual love. And so I want to, to say as you look at this, Understand that that's one of the key things that you should be receiving from it. Uh, there are people that avoid this book, especially from the pulpit, because uh, there's hardly a way to preach it without uh, getting into some you know, touchy, uh, if you will, uh, situations and expressions. But I will suggest to you that it's the Word of God, and it's God-breathed, and as a result, it's meant for us, just as, as Timothy, Peter told Timothy, for building up, encouraging, and, 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 and getting us to go the, the right direction in our relationship with God for teaching and instruction. So keep that in mind as we uh, look at it this morning. Um, so I'm saying to you that I believe in a literal context. It is poetry or, or, or songs, if you will that were meant to give us instruction and, and, and uh, as to how to uh, treat husband and wife, to treat one another in the framework of, of uh, our sexual relationships, and that our sexual relationships is a gift from God. The other thing is, is that people see a uh, parallel or, or a type of Christ within the framework of the story. And I believe that is there as well. And so the question is, is who are the key players and what are their roles? And within the framework of reading through the Song of, 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 of Solomon, uh, if you have, a, for instance, if you have an English standard, standard version, and also I think the New King James Version and a couple others do this as well, they title various sections as to who is speaking. So if you're reading through the and using the English Standard Version, starting with verse 2, it says, she. And then it goes the next, a little further down, it says, others. And then it says, she. And then it goes down to uh, chapter, verse 8, just above it, it says, he. Well, who are these people? Well, the she is the Shulamite girl. The girl from Shulam, it's uh, a, 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 she is the, the kind of the, the heart of this story, in the sense of, of who she is, uh, she's a, a young maiden uh, who is being pursued by uh, the uh, by. Well, I, I would say, if you're looking at this from my point of view, by two people, King Solomon and a shepherd. Uh, but uh, the idea is that she's being pursued uh, as as one that that King Solomon. Certainly, in this, would like to marry, and 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 uh, he's looking at her as as very beautiful, and so the he is is in most cases uh, could be King Solomon 
Or if you subscribe to the idea that there's a, a second male in this, the shepherd, it could be the shepherd. How you distinguish those has a lot to do with, with the context and, and it's hard to get into in a, in a one message. I'm not even going to try. But let me suggest to you that there are a myriad of good commentaries out there. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in pursuing a, a study in the Song of Solomon, uh, don't hesitate to, to uh, ask, uh, ask me if you would like or others uh, in, uh, of the elders in reference to ideas of con- uh, commentaries that they might suggest as you go through this. Um, what I am looking at is, and someone, you know, I, I subscribe to the, the, that there's four people in the, the story. King Solomon, the Shulamite girl, the others, which by the way are, we're told who they are, the others are, are the daughters of Jerusalem. You see that in verse 5, the, the daughters of Jerusalem. The others are the, do- bottom, uh, the daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, the question is to who are the daughters of Jerusalem? Uh, some would subscribe that they're part of, of, of the palace, uh, women, which would imply that they're the wives and concubines of, of, of Solomon, uh, and, uh, that the, uh, and again, the she is the Shulamite girl, and Solomon speaking, and then the shepherd is the one who is looking at the woman as Someone to be a, 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 in a relationship with in a, in a sense of a monogamous way. The reason why I see that in the way I look at it and the way, and I'm by, by, by no means a, a, a small minority in any way. It's a, it goes back to the first century and, and early church fathers who all see it fairly similar is that Solomon is not a good example of a monogamous person. And, and that creates a difficulty to see him as the, as the example in this story of, of, of what marriage should be. What do we know about Solomon? Well, even in the Song of Solomon, we have uh, chapter 6, verse 8, gives us a quick little clue that, you know, he is, is not, monogamy is not his thing. It says, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. Okay, now, that's 140 plus women in his harem. Okay, and if that's the case, a majority of, 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 of people who are reading, uh, uh, making comments on this, uh, commentaries and writers and, and, and uh, scholars are saying, this is an indication that this was something that was happening early in his life. Why would they think that? Well, because if you go into First uh, Kings chapter eleven, well, let's 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 go to First Kings chapter eleven, and 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 read that. First Kings chapter eleven. Uh, oh, I'll just take it from the first verse. King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, "You shall not enter into marriage with them; neither shall they be uh, shall they with you uh, 
for surely they will turn away your heart after their God. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not worthy, uh, wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after... And and I'm just going to leave it there. The you know he built uh, temple places and places of worship for other gods. So I am suggesting that Solomon's not the ideal person to 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 play the role in in even his own play, if you will, uh, the the monogamous male figure in this for obvious reasons. So I I. And, say that the shepherd is that person. And if you go through this and, and, and uh, look at this as types, the shepherd is the type of Christ. Solomon is the type of the world. The Shulamite girl is the, is the type of the church. And the others are, uh, the ty- are representing the harem of, of Solomon. And, and, and so uh, going through that, that's one interpretation. It's the one that I subscribe to. It, it by no way is fixed in cement, meaning that uh, there's other people and other uh, scholars who have different opinions and different approaches. And the main thing that I want you to get out of this, again, is that within the framework of God having this poetry in here, these songs in here, he is telling us what sensual love is like and that it is okay within the framework of a husband and wife relationship. The uh, importance of monogamy, though, is, is, is I think is important to, to, to get a hold of. In Genesis chapter 2, when God has created male and female, and, he, and, and He's presented the, the, the female to Adam, and it says, the, the two shall cleave together and become one. In Jesus' teachings on, on marriage, when he was asked about divorce and, and remarriage and, and some things, in Matthew chapter 19, he comes back to that point. There, the husband and the wife shall come together, they'll cleave you know, and love each other, and the two shall become one. Again, this idea of monogamy, that can't happen with three. It, you know, it can't happen with a harem. It can't happen. It, it's a husband and a wife. Monogamy is an important part of, of God's plan because of, of what He intends to use it as a husband and wife and their relationship as a reflection. And we'll get into that in just a, a few minutes. In uh, Proverbs chapter five, uh, it's 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 a rather direct statement, but uh, it's it's a statement again. God talking about husband-wife relationship. In verse 15 of chapter 5, it says, Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. In other words, keep your relationship secured to one person. A husband and a wife, the two shall become one. And in in the New Testament, not only does Jesus speak in reference to that in in chapter 19, but Paul, Paul addresses it in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 5. And I'm sure these are familiar verses with you, for you, but I, I just uh, want to, to read a, chapter 5, uh, start with the 24th verse. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, immediately we have people raise an eyebrow. You know, wife submits to the husbands. In our culture today, that's not acceptable. But listen, to, there's a reason. This, by the way, submitting to the husband has nothing to do with... I've heard people take it as far as, and I'm not kidding you, and they're teaching this to their congregation, that the wives are responsible to have dinner ready when the husband gets home, the, 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 the slippers at the door and all that kind of stuff. No, that's not what we're talking. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as, your, as your spiritual leader and, and bringing you along in, in Christ. And, and there's a reason for that. Husbands love, you know, uh, it says, husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Does that, you know, how did Christ love the church? He emptied himself that he might lift us up. Okay? So, if anything, we become uh, people who come alongside our, our wives to lift them up, to serve them, and minister to them. It, it has nothing to do with what you take from them. It has to do with how you, you relate to them and come together. And the two of you together becoming one is, is really an important part of that. Uh, and, and it says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look at verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What he's saying is that a husband-wife relationship within the framework of Christ, the two becoming one and, and ministering to one another, should reflect the love of Christ that, and the love that Christ has for the church. People should be able to look at our, at our relationship and say, There's, that is not the way the world is. There is something different. And what it is is that we, husbands are loving their wives as Christ loves the church and the wives are coming along. And the two, by the way, are becoming one. They, they are a unit together. Monogamy is so important within the framework of our walk with Christ. It's, it's emphasized strongly. So, Christ is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, and, and we are to, to, you know, that picture is, is consistent throughout the New Testament. So, then the question comes back to, is the Song of Solomon a picture of God and Israel? In other words, the, the uh, God, the husband, Israel, the wife. But there's several times that that, that that type is used within the framework of the Old Testament. And I'm going to say it's in there. And uh, again, uh, I, I, I see that as the role of the shepherd uh, in, in, this, in this story. Uh, and, then it, and we see it as Christ and the church. The Christ is the shepherd. The church is the Shulamite girl. That's the stuff that we can debate. This morning, I really, what I wanted to nail down was something that just, uh, I felt was extremely important and maybe didn't get touched on very well in, in, when we were going through this. In the midst of this song, in chapter 2, starting in chapter 2 with verse 7, we have a, a, an interesting statement that is made by the Shulamite girl. 
she's talking to the daughters of Jerusalem, the others, as the ESV has that. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. What an interesting statement. Don't stir up the love until it pleases. In other words, you know, there's, there's, there's a tendency, you know, uh, to all sorts of, of, of parts of our cultures, and it's seen back then too, that are giving us advice as to how we are to treat one another and how we are to relate to one another in a, in a, in a love relationship and a husband-wife relationship. And, and what she is saying is don't stir it up or awaken love until it pleases or until the time is right. And so I, I was looking at this and I was saying, you know, the time is right. Now, I know marriage is supposed to be between a husband and a wife. Marriage to become one. So it has something to do with that bonding of together. The time is right is when, a, when God brings uh, two into a relationship that is, is moving towards marriage. Okay, But the, the idea of stirring up love... God makes it pretty clear in Scripture that love isn't to be stirred up in the context of, of physical love, sexual love, until a husband and wife are husband and wife. That's when the time is right. And so that is initially what I think is, is being said here. Is there's a time for this and, and, and the world doesn't necessarily sp- uh, speak to it well. And I was thinking, boy, if, if that was the case back then to some degree, as strict and, and, and as many of the groups in the Hebrew culture were, I thought, what about our culture today? And so I just simply wrote down here, what awakens love in our culture? What kind of things awaken love in our culture? And when we say love, we're talking about the idea of sensual love. Well, you guys are as afraid of this as I am. Huh? TV. Okay. Certainly, you know, we, we were bombarded in TV uh, uh, in reference to what the world contains and, and says is love. And uh, we're seeing new aspects of that all the time as far as how commercials uh, are going and TV programs and, and this type of thing. Uh, some of the things that are going on, uh, and I'm not embarrassed to say it, I am a true believer in the context of husband-wife relationship. Not the kind of the idea of consensual relationships and significant others. And that includes the LGBT problem, that, the situation that we have in our culture as well. And so we see on the television commercials where it's obvious that the, the, the that people the, the, that the people that are in the commercial are are a couple and they're either male and male or female and female. Or we're even watching a game show and they says, Oh yes, and my husband and the guy's a guy. <laughs> my husband. You know? Well, it's common 
in our culture. Why? It's because it's legal. It's, there's nothing that the, the law protects it. And so I'm not saying that we should go after it, make fun of it, uh, make it a position of our pulpit to, to rant and rave on it. But the reality is, it is one of the things that is going on that's waking up the ideas of love in our kids. Let's face it. It's, it's a truth in that sense. It's, it's affecting. And it affects us too. It makes us, I think, more, uh, you know, casual with it in the sense of how we accept it. So TV. What, what's something else? Movies. Okay, Hollywood. How, we, could, we could put it in Hollywood if you wanted to. Movies, videos, uh, internet included in that. Huh? Social media, period. Yeah, not just, you know, so that includes our phones, the internet, the wire, Wi-Fi, all of the stuff that we have now uh, gives us access. Uh, and, and, boy, as parents, this is something tough to deal with. What? Well, yeah, that's what the social media is telling people to do. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's out there. Uh, and, and so I put down your TV, music, Hollywood, and that included I had movies, video, internet, social media, printed material. And I'm going to suggest to one that it came up at our, at our elders meeting here this last week, someplace I didn't, I didn't think about putting in this. And that's public education. And I'm going to suggest to you uh, something that if you want to look it up, I'm not going to spend any time really discussing it uh, other than this, and, and, and that is, is that in 2016, there was a sex ed bill passed. It's called the California Healthy Youth Act. And it's promoting within the framework of public schools and public education and teaching sex education in such a way that it's gender open. It's very graphic. It's very specific. It's teaching, telling these kids how to have sexual relationships in any of the categories uh, that are involved in the, the gender issues today in normally graphic detail. It is what is happening. I'm not an alarmist. This is legitimate. What's amazing is the amount of educators that don't even have a clue about it yet. It's still in the formation stages. Gender open is what I put here. Explore, explore and find out who you are and what you relate to. Don't assume that automatically you are a uh, male-female uh, monogamous kind of context. Explore it. Find out who you are. And like I said, you can get a lot of information from the Internet uh, on this. It's available. And from the government's point of view, just what it is. I want to come back to Genesis here at this point and say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes through, he created man and created uh, uh, men and women in his image. In his image, he created them, it says. And it tells us that the two were to become one. Verse 24, and, and, and a husband would leave his, his, the man would leave his family and go to his wife, and the two would become one. 
the idea of this becoming one is almost as if they are sealed. Nothing is to break this seal. And this image, interestingly enough, jumps out a little bit in the Song of Solomon. In chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, the Shulamite is, is speaking. By the way, uh, how important is this verse that I gave you, chapter 2, verse 7? Well, it's repeated again in chapter 3, verse 5, and in chapter 8, verse 4. In chapter 8, verse 4 is where we, since that's where we are. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases, until the time is right. She's speaking to her beloved. In verse 6, she says, Set me uh, as, as a seal uh, upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. How, how strong is death? Why, why would that, that picture be used? Because death is an absolute. We are keenly aware from the time that we start to look around us that everything has a life cycle of beginning and end. Death is an absolute. And so that was why this picture was used. You know, the idea is that, that uh, love is as strong as death. You can't get out of death, you know, and so the idea is that love is to be that, that kind of a thing. It's, it, it's that strong. It, in our, in our, the way we are put together, it's an intimate part of who, intricate part of who we are. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy, by the word jealousy here is, is, is maybe, uh, the word zealous is also the same word, uh, is, is as fierce as the grave. But this idea of, of, of the grave is, 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 and death are, are a real thing in our, in our life. Love and, and the zealousness of having love is in us. It flashes, are flashes of fire. We, we, we talk about Love in poetry and singing and music uh, uh, and, and metaphors as, as being like a burning fire. So, you know, that's the, the same picture here. It's flashes and are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. If we are sealed by our beloved, Jesus Christ, and we are walking with Him, our love is first and foremost sealed with the Lord. And that's what the, this thing was driving for. As fierce as the grave, it sure is death. It flashes or fires to fire. But the flame, if, it's, if, if we are in the right position in our relationship with God, the flame is of the Lord. The Lord is the one that's directing us in the framework of our love, the way we look at it, the way we think about it. Where are we getting our ideas? Are we looking at the world to open up our way of thinking about love? Or are we looking to the Word of God to open up our way of thinking about love? And the Song of Solomon proves that God's not prudish about this. 
in the sense of husband and wife relationship. The very flame of the Lord. Verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. That's how strong this is in us. Waters can't quench it. Love can't, uh, uh, floods can't drown it. And I, I look at that, uh, you know, uh, if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. In other words, he'd be unable to purchase it. You know, it, it would be, how, how stupid, you can't, you can't buy it in that sense and s- satisfy. The only thing that's going to satisfy our inner desire for love in an ultimate sort of format is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through that relationship, our relationship with our, with our spouse. And the two become one with Jesus Christ at His head. I know that that was a lot to go through very quickly. But the idea was simply that as you, if you've read through this, you, you, I, I wanted to give you at least something to work with and as you look at it is, is that it's not, it's not something that doesn't belong in the Bible. It's very clearly God put it here for us to, as husbands and wives to look at it and to be able to see that love being sensual is okay between a husband and a wife. And that this idea of, of two becoming one and a relationship is to be that picture of, of Christ and His church ultimately. They said, he said this mystery is hard to understand to begin in Ephesians chapter 5. Hard to understand, but it's a picture of Christ and the church. And I thought, well, if it's a picture of Christ and the church, then I should rest comfortably in using some thoughts as we go into communion. Paul in Romans chapter 7 talks all about uh, the, the, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. I'm not going to go into any more detail on that, just the fact that there it, it, it exists. And, and, and he feels like it's a battle he can't win. And so he writes at the end of chapter 7, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. In other words, when he says I find it to be a law, he doesn't mean a law of God. It just means... I want to do good and evil is, is right there. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, in my spirit, but I see in my members another law waging war. And what he's talking about is his members is the way he thinks against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin and dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wow. I'm in serious trouble here. Who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I have I wrestle with the flesh in my in, in, in my body, and, and but I serve God in my mind. I have surrendered to Jesus Christ. 
What he's saying is, I've confessed with my mouth and believe in my heart. Going ahead of it in chapter 10. But that's what he's basically saying. Wretched man that I am, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to find help? It's in Jesus Christ. My relationship with Jesus Christ must be in place for me to have the right relationship, monogamous relationship, with my spouse. With my wife. What happens because of this? Well, it starts with eight, chapter 8, verse 1 of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are in Christ Jesus, even though we're struggling with sin, if we are in our hearts surrendered to Christ, we've confessed and believed that He is the Christ raised from the dead, the one who has is, is, is saved our souls, then as we rest with that relationship and seek it out, He sees us already cleansed. There's no condemnation. He says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, verse 11, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And I think of, of what Paul writes to the Corinthians. What is mortal is swallowed up by life. Okay? We are heirs with Jesus. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we, you know, in, in, you know that we have received Him and, and, and He's our Savior, we are joint heirs with Jesus. It goes on and on in, re- in reference to the security we have within, in that relationship. So let me go back again. I believe the Song of Solomon is teaching us that our relationship first is to be stirred by God in our lives, in the way we look at love. And as a result, it targets us to the thought that we would be looking at love from a uh, biblical point of view and that it's in a relationship with one. That's why I say I don't think Solomon fits the, the category of that person of, 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 the, uh, the, of Christ in, in the Song of Solomon. Even, and so... Uh, we have that picture uh, God has given us that, that uh, we are to uh, look to Him for guidance and direction. And as a result, uh, as we rest in Him, we become the people He wants us to become. He's working on us. He's cleansing us. And by the way, it's a process. It doesn't happen instantaneously. And it doesn't happen the same way necessarily in me as it happens in you. For instance, I, I, I can recall standing outside a church one time and somebody uh, let out a, a swear word and another person approached him and, and, and said, you know, Nick's on that, you know, you know I mean really scolded him. And, and the guy had just become a Christian. And, and so this, point, this person informed me, he says, when I first became a Christian, God took away swearing and, you know, well, maybe God's going to do it in a different order with somebody else. There's, there, there's no biblical way that it says God does this and this and this first. What, and, and he could have approached him and, 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 and privately and, and, and said, 
that's something that needs to be contained. If you are in Christ, you need to pray about that or something. But, you know, the idea is, is that we are in a process of being completed. And He promises that He will complete the work He has started in us. So that when it's time for us to stand before the throne of God, God will see us through Christ complete. Holy. Without blemished. The bride of Christ. For guys, it's hard to say that. I'm the bride of Christ. But it has nothing to do with gender. It has everything to do with position. How awesome is that? Joint heirs with Jesus. So as we come to communion this morning, uh, I would ask the worship team to come up and and uh, share our song with us as we get our hearts ready. And just that reality of who Christ is and what He's done for us. Uh, we're using packets this morning. As, uh, and uh, if you didn't get a packet while we're singing the song, feel free to go out. They're on the table in the foyer. And the packet contains both the bread and the cup. Given because you were forsaken, and I'm accepted, you were condemned, and I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken, and I'm accepted. You were condemned, and I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. And I'm accepted. You are condemned. And I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me. Because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you, you are my King, you are my King, Jesus, you are my King.
Jesus, you are my King. Amazing love, I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. you join me in prayer as we go to communion? Father, we come to you and it is our desire to honor you. We, we thank you that you became flesh, entered this world, emptied yourself, became a man even unto being a servant to man, even to the point of death on the cross. that our sins might be covered by Your sacrifice. Thank You, Lord. We confess You as the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We believe that God raised You from the dead on the third day. And as we look in ahead, we believe that You are coming again for Your church. And as we rest in You, we, we look at these emblems and take the opportunity to celebrate what You have done for us and remember You. In the book of, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, Paul writes, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and He said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Paul goes on in verse 25. He says, In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let's just share the cup together. Father, we share these emblems together in remembrance of what You have done, but also what You are doing and what You are yet to do. And we take the Scriptures that Paul wrote, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. And we think of that, but realizing, Lord, that for all of us in this congregation, for everyone we know, for this generation, it is in times. Help us to spread the Word, to share with those that we love and to be prayerful for their souls. And ask, Lord, that You would give us opportunity to witness for You. And if anyone does ask, give us the, the words we need that they need to hear. Not some pat, rehearsed 
phrase, but the words they need to hear that will draw them into you. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for the grace that you have poured out onto us. The, the idea of that is that you've lavished on us in abundance more than enough. We thank you. We ask, Lord, that now as we go, that you go with us. Cause us to draw close to you and be a testimony for your love in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close? And thank you for being here this morning. We're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs in just a, a little bit. If you can stay and, and uh, fellowship with us. And again, uh, Lord bless. Have a wonderful rest of the day.